Chapter 10 of Freckles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Freckles by Jean Stratton Porter. Chapter 10. Wherein Freckles strives mightily, and the Swamp Angel rewards him. The Bird Woman and the Angel did not seem to count in the common run, for they arrived on time for the third of the series, and found McLean on the line talking to Freckles. The boss was filled with enthusiasm over a Marsh article of the Bird Woman's that he had just read. He begged to be allowed to accompany her into the swamp, and watch the method by which she secured an illustration in such a location. The Bird Woman explained to him that it was an easy matter with the subject she then had in hand, and as Little Chicken was too small to be frightened by him, and big enough to be growing troublesome, she was glad for his company. They went to the chicken log together, leaving to the happy freckles the care of the angel, who had brought her banjo, and a roll of songs that she wanted to hear him sing. The Bird Woman told them that they might practice in Freckles' room until she finished with Little Chicken, and then she and McLean would come to the concert. It was almost three hours before they finished, and came down the west trail for their rest and lunch. McLean walked ahead, keeping sharp watch on the trail, and clearing it of fallen limbs from overhanging trees. He sent a big piece of bark flying into the swale, and then stopped short and stared at the trail. The Bird Woman bent forward. Together they studied that imprint of the angel's foot. At last their eyes met. The Bird Woman's filled with astonishment, and McLean's humid with pity. Neither said a word, but they knew. McLean entered the swale and hunted up the bark. He replaced it, and the Bird Woman carefully stepped over. As they reached the bushes at the entrance, the voice of the angel stopped them, for it was commanding and filled with much impatience. "'Freckles James Ross McLean,' she was saying, "'you fill me with dark blue despair. You're singing as if your voice were glass, and might break at any minute. Why don't you sing as you did a week ago? Answer me that, please.' Freckles smiled confusedly at the angel, who sat on one of his fancy seats, playing his accompaniment on her banjo. "'You are a fraud,' she said. "'Here you went last week and led me to think that there was the making of a great singer in you. "'And now you are singing—do you know how badly you are singing?' "'Yes,' said Freckles meekly. "'I am thinking I'm too happy to be singing well today. "'The music don't come right only when I'm lonesome and sad. "'The world's for being all sunshine at present, for among you and Mr. McLean and the Bird Woman, "'I'm after being that happy that I can't keep me thoughts on me notes.' It's more than sorry I am to be disappointing you. Play it over, and I'll be beginning again, and this time I'll hold hard. Well, said the angel disgustedly, it seems to me that if I had all the things to be proud of that you have, I'd lift up my head and sing. And what is it I've to be proud of, ma'am? politely inquired Freckles. Why, a whole world full of things, cried the angel explosively. For one thing, you can be good and proud over the way you've kept the timber thieves out of this lease, and the trust your father has in you. You can be proud that you've never even once disappointed him or failed in what he believed you could do. You can be proud over the way everyone speaks of you with trust and honor, and about how brave of heart and strong of body you are. I heard a big man say a few days ago that the limber lost was full of disagreeable things, positive dangers, unhealthful as it could be, and that since the memory of the first settlers it has been a rendezvous for runaways, thieves, and murderers. This swamp is named for a man that was lost here and wandered around till he starved. 
That man I was talking with said he wouldn't take your job for a thousand dollars a month. In fact, he said he wouldn't have it for any money. And you've never missed a day or lost a tree. Proud? Why, I should think you would parade around all proper over that. And you can always be proud that you were born an Irishman. My father is Irish, and if you want to see him get up and strut, give him a teeny opening to enlarge on his race. He says that if the Irish had decent territory, they'd lead the world. He says they've always been handicapped by lack of space and a fertile soil. He says if Ireland had been as big and fertile as Indiana, why, England wouldn't ever have had the upper hand. She'd only be an appendage. Fancy England an appendage. He says Ireland has the finest orators and the keenest statesmen in Europe today. And when England wants a fight, with whom does she fill her trenches? Irishmen, of course. Ireland has the greenest grass and trees, the finest stones and lakes, and they've jaunting cars. I don't know just exactly what they are, but Ireland has all there are, anyway. They've a great lot of actors and a few singers, and there never was a sweeter poet than one of theirs. You should hear my father recite, Dear Harp of My Country. He does it this way. The angel arose, made an elaborate old-time bow, and holding up the banjo, recited in clipping feet and meter, with rhythmic swing and a touch of brogue that was simply irresistible. Dear harp of my country, the angel ardently clasped the banjo. In darkness I found thee. She held it to the light. The cold chain of silence had hung o'er thee long. She muted the strings with her rosy palm. Then proudly, my own Irish harp, I unbound thee. She threw up her head and swept a ringing harmony, and gave all thy chords to light, freedom, and song. She crashed into the notes of the accompaniment she had been playing for freckles. "'That's what you want to be thinking of,' she cried. "'Not darkness and lonesomeness and sadness, but light, freedom, and song. I can't begin to think offhand of all the big splendid things an Irishman has to be proud of. But whatever they are, they are all yours, and you are a part of them. I just despise that saddest when I sing business. You can sing. Now you go over there and do it. Ireland has had her statesmen, warriors, actors, and poets. Now you be her voice. You stand right out there before the cathedral door, and I'm going to come down the aisle playing that accompaniment, and when I stop in front of you, you sing. The angel's face wore an unusual flush. Her eyes were flashing, and she was palpitating with earnestness. She parted the bushes and disappeared. Freckles, straight and tense, stood waiting. Presently, before he saw she was there, she was coming down the aisle toward him, playing compellingly, and rifts of light were touching her with gold and glory. Freckles stood as if transfixed. The cathedral was majestically beautiful, from arched dome of frescoed gold, green, and blue, in never-ending shades and harmonies, to the mosaic aisle she trod, richly inlaid in choicest colors and gigantic pillars that were God's handiwork, fashioned and perfected through ages of sunshine and rain. But the fair young face and divinely molded form of the angel were his most perfect work of all. Never had she appeared so surpassingly beautiful. She was smiling encouragingly now, and as she came toward him she struck the chords full and strong. The heart of poor Freckles almost burst with dull pain and his great love for her. In his desire to fulfill her expectations, he forgot everything else, and when she reached his initial chord, he was ready. He literally burst forth, three little leaves of Irish green, united in one stem, 
Love, truth, and valor do they mean. They form a magic gem. The angel's eyes widened curiously, and her lips parted. A deep color swept into her cheeks. She had intended to arouse him. She had more than succeeded. She was too young to know that in the effort to rouse a man, women frequently kindle fires that they neither can quench nor control. Freckles was looking over her head now, and singing that song as it never had been sung before, for her alone, and instead of her helping him as she had intended, he was carrying her with him on the waves of his voice, away, away into another world. When he struck into the chorus, wide-eyed and panting, she was swaying toward him and playing with all her might. Oh, do you love? Oh, say you love. You love the shamrock green. At the last note, Freckles' voice ceased, and he looked at the angel. He had given his best and his all. He fell on his knees and folded his arms across his breast. The angel, as if magnetized, walked straight down the aisle to him, and running her fingers into the crisp masses of his red hair, tilted his head back and laid her lips on his forehead. Then she stepped back and faced him. "'Good boy,' she said in a voice that wavered from the throbbing of her shaken heart. "'Dear boy,' I knew you could do it. I knew it was in you. Freckles, when you go into the world, if you can face a big audience and sing like that, just once, you will be immortal, and anything you want will be yours. Anything? gasped Freckles. Anything, said the angel. Freckles rose, muttered something, and catching up his old bucket, plunged into the swamp blindly on a pretense of bringing water. The angel walked slowly across the study, sat on the rustic bench, and, through narrowed lids, intently studied the tip of her shoe. On the trail the bird-woman wheeled to McLean with a dumbfounded look. "'God!' he muttered. At last the bird-woman spoke. "'Do you think the angel knew she did that?' she asked softly. "'No,' said McLean. "'I do not. But the poor boy knew it. Heaven help him.' The bird-woman stared across the gentle, waving swale. "'I don't see how I am going to blame her,' she said at last. "'It's so exactly what I would have done myself.' "'Say the remainder,' demanded McLean hoarsely. "'Do him justice.' "'He was born a gentleman,' conceded the bird-woman. "'He took no advantage. He never even offered to touch her. Whatever that kiss meant to him, he recognized it was the loving impulse of a child under stress of strong emotion.' He was fine and manly, as any man ever could have been. McLean lifted his hat. Thank you, he said simply, and parted the bushes for her to enter Freckles' room. It was her first visit. Before she left, she sent for her cameras and made studies of each side of it and of the cathedral. She was entranced with the delicate beauty of the place, while her eyes kept following Freckles, as if she could not believe that it could be his conception and work. That was a happy day. The bird-woman had brought a lunch, and they spread it, with Freckles' dinner, on the study floor, and sat, resting, and enjoying themselves. But the angel put her banjo into its case, silently gathered her music, and no one mentioned the concert. The bird-woman left McLean and the angel to clear away the lunch, and with Freckles examined the walls of his room and told him all she knew about his shrubs and flowers. She analyzed a cardinal flower and showed him what he had wanted to know all summer why the bees buzzed ineffectually around it, while the hummingbirds found it in an ever-ready feast. Some of his specimens were so rare that she was unfamiliar with them, and with the flower-book between them they knelt, studying the different varieties. 
she wandered the length of the cathedral aisle with him, and it was at her suggestion that he lighted his altar with a row of flaming fox-fire. As Freckles came to the cabin from his long day at the swamp, he saw Mrs. Chicken sweeping to the south, and wondered where she was going. He stepped into the bright, cozy little kitchen, and as he reached down the wash-basin, he asked Mrs. Duncan a question. "'Mother Duncan, do kisses wash off?' So warm a wave swept her heart that a half-flush mantled her face. She straightened her shoulders and glanced at her hands tenderly. "'Lord, nah, Freckles,' she cried. "'At least the ones you get from people you love, dinna. They dinna stay on the outside. They strike in until they find the center of your heart and make their stopping place there, and nothing can take them from you. I doubt if even death. Nay, lad, you can reach assure it kisses dinna wash off.' Freckles set the basin down and muttered when he plunged his hot, tired face into the water. I needn't be afraid of washing, then, for that one struck in. End of chapter 10